Welcome to the Hope Story Podcast, where we share resources, encouragement, and hope for families of children with Down syndrome. Here's your host, husband, dad, and founder of Hope Story, Rick Smith. Welcome to the Hope Story Podcast. This is Rick Smith, and we're going to be talking about a subject today that I know everyone is super excited about, and that is education, the educational system for children with special needs. And I'm very excited today to have on our podcast, really a pro with 20 years of experience working with families, Catherine Witcher. Catherine, welcome to the Hope Story podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, great. Well, so why don't we take a second and tell everyone your story a little bit and how you got into doing what you're doing. So I have grown up as a special needs sibling. My brother has Down syndrome. He's 42. And I lived the life of figuring things out and just seeing how the special needs community worked. And I, I living and breathing in the same shoes as your listeners. And it really was something that I grew up watching very closely of how my brother was treated, um, you know, what his experience was in schools. And, you know, I was that nosy special needs sibling that was hiding around the corner while my mom was on the phone talking to the schools. And I kept on thinking to myself, why is this so hard? Like, why don't the teachers just teach my brother? And some teachers who are listening to this just rolled their eyes and said, we're trying. And and I know, I know that now. But as a a 10-year-old, you think, why is this so hard? So I decided early on that I was going to be a special education teacher and I was going to change the world from the inside of my classroom, that I needed to make this easier for families like my own and that, you know, we really needed to change the education system. So I went to school and I get a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and I'm all in and I'm ready and I'm in the classroom. And then I saw the red tape and I saw the things that were happening behind the scenes. So I was teaching by day. And then I was coaching parents by night, my own students' parents. I was saying, you know, if you tell my boss this in this way, she will totally get what you're asking for. And then I'd go to my boss and I'd say, you know, what the parents are really trying to say is, and I was doing this all behind the scenes. So um, I was in the classroom for a few years and I decided, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. So about 20 years ago, I leaped out of the classroom and I've been working for parents in school districts independently ever since, helping them build IEPs that are meaningful, they work, they're simple, they reduce stress, they increase results. And that's where we really need to focus when it comes to building a special education plan. That's awesome. Well, I am, as a parent of a nine-year-old with Down syndrome, who's in the third grade, we've navigated some of these conversations and we've navigated some of these issues. And I'm so thankful for pros like you that spend time and effort really coming alongside parents like me and saying, hey, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm going to help you. I'm your advocate in this arena. And so I think so many of our parents are going to be so thankful to have you on sharing what you're going to share today. And so before we get into that, why don't you tell everyone what is an IEP? What, you know, someone is new to this whole area of raising a child with special needs and navigating the school system. What is an IEP? So an IEP is an individualized education plan, and it was established in the 70s as a federal law saying that 
everybody gets to have an education. Now, here's my disclaimer. I'm not going to be giving out any legal advice. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm going to tell you where to look for certain things to make sure that your child is getting an education. So this individualized education plan has a foundation that is federal that goes for all states. So some of your listeners are going to be thinking, does this really apply to my state? Everything that we're talking about is absolutely going to apply to everybody. And yet the states have some things that are a little different and, you know, they have some enhancements or just some different um, rules and regulations for special needs families. But an IEP really helps fill that need for a child who learns differently, a child who has some significant differences than their peers. And there's a whole type of um, process to go through to get an IEP established and all of those things. We're going to skip over that part today. I know we're going to jump into the good stuff of what to do at a meeting, but it's important for everyone who's listening to know that an IEP is truly individualized. It's the plan to help your child meet their unique needs and to prepare them for further education, employment, and independent living, and I didn't make that up, those are actually statements that are in the purpose and findings of that idea law. So meet your child's unique needs and prepare them for further education, employment, and independent living. That's the entire focus of that document. That's great. It sounds like you have talked about this a few times. A little bit. <laughs> well, listen, I know that you know so many parents can get you know, really anxious about IEP meetings, really get stressed out, really get worried and concerned. And I, and I know they that's because they have a love for their child. They really want their child to succeed and do well. And, and so I'm glad that you're here to really set some parents' minds at ease. So let's jump into the good stuff. I think the things that we're going to talk about today are going to be really beneficial. So we're going to talk about five things that everyone must do for a successful IEP meeting. And so we're going to have a link to your website on our show notes. We're going to have a link to a checklist that uh, you're probably going to mention on our show notes, but I'm going to let you jump right in and get to it on the five things that everyone must do for a successful IEP meeting. So I'm going to jump in with something that really fits with the character of your podcast, which I'm so excited about the focus of the stories that you're telling of hope. And so often the IEP process is met with an attitude of doom and gloom or stress, and it really doesn't have to be that way. So the first thing that we can all do, and again, this is parents, teachers, admins, therapists, if you're sitting at the IEP table, it's time to start walking into that room with a hopeful mindset. And one of the ways that you can do that is to make sure that you don't use that meeting as a dumping ground for complaints. We don't get everybody at the IEP meeting together very often. So we have this collective knowledge that's sitting there. And if we spend our time complaining about all the things that are wrong or all of our worries, instead of stating those ahead of time, and there's a way to do that, parents have prior written notice is our fancy term for what I call a parent input letter. There's different ways to make your concerns known in a proactive, collaborative way before the meeting so that meeting can really become a place of celebration and a place of finding solutions versus just focusing on the problems. So I'll jump into the second one because it kind of leads right into, because everybody's going to go, okay, well, how do I do that? How do, how do I make sure that I can walk in there with some hope and I can walk in there with everybody understanding what I need? And in every IEP, 
across the country, there is a section in the document that's called parent educational concerns or something like that. Sometimes the verbiage is a little bit different, but it's a place for parent input. And that place, I can tell you right now that if, if your listeners, if you guys hit pause and go get the document and you open up that parent input section, if you didn't intentionally fill out that section or submit a document ahead of time, that section on the IEP is not reflective of your true concerns. And that's a great starting point in that document. So you go into the parent input statement and you start working. This is how we walk in with hope is we start working on what are your vision, both short-term and long-term in different areas of academics, communication, social, emotional, and really start using that section. So Rick, I'm actually going to put that on your to-do list for Noah is to make sure that you right. go look at that section on the IEP. Right. Let me ask you this, and I know this is going to be different for everyone's child, but what are the, the types of things that are helpful to put in that section? Oh, I love that question. So I love to see some real individual type thoughts there because, you know, what you want for Noah is different than maybe what my parents wanted for my brother. So they both have Down syndrome, but our, our family lifestyles are different. Our expectations are different. So for example, I know that you guys love to travel and you love to go do things like water parks and get out into the community. So one of the things that you might have in that vision statement is making sure that you have those skills of independence for Noah, that he understands safety, that he knows stranger danger, that he has um, communication that is useful in the community, that he might have alternative modes of communication because maybe um, verbally not everybody can understand him all the time. So what are some other modes that he could learn so he could um, have a conversation outside of immediate family? So as you can see, I could go on and on and on, right, of all these things that, that you could individualize this process and really those all tie back to academics and different supports and services that could be done at school that will actually enhance your life as a family, both short-term and long-term. That's really helpful. Thank you. All right. You ready for number three? I'm ready. Okay. So I love to avoid hot topics at the IEP meeting. That's why I started out with that first point. And I'm gonna give another tip on how to avoid the stressors. And that is to make sure that you're clearly defining words that tend to create barriers when we spit them out at the IEP table. And I'm gonna give two examples. One of them is inclusion. And inclusion is this word that's tossed around. But again, what my version of inclusion is versus your version of inclusion versus the school's version of inclusion could be three very different things. So I always start by teaching teams and parents that inclusion is not a place, it's an experience. We really want students to experience this sense and feeling of being included, whether they're in a specialized classroom, they're in the hallway, the library, the, the gen ed room, the gym, the office, the playground. I don't care where they're at. They need to be included for who they are and meeting them where they're at. So when we look at inclusion as that, as a definition versus the old school definition, which by the way, everybody's sitting at the table, when you spit out the word inclusion, they think, oh my gosh, they wanna take this child who's reading four grades below and drop them into a general education class. And now that we have to modify all this work and how is the child gonna get learning benefit? And all of this negativity comes up. But when we talk about inclusion as a whole, that's just a small piece of what needs to be modified. And we really can develop inclusion in other areas. So that's one of the big hot topics. 
Another one is when parents ask for a one-on-one -on -one aid. It's like a grenade has been thrown into the room and you're just waiting for where it's gonna like just go off when you ask for a one-on-one -on -one aid. And one of the things to be really clear about is when you're asking for one-on-one -on -one assistance, I need you, the parent, or you, the team member, to be very clear about what the one-on-one -on -one assistance is going to help accomplish and describe some of those situations, because very often you can come to an understanding, a compromise, something beneficial when you break it down kind of task by task or area by area in the school of where a child may need one-on-one -on -one help versus just making a blanket statement of one-on-one -on -one help. At Hope Story, we believe one of the greatest gifts for new parents of a child with Down syndrome is a friend who also has a child with Down syndrome and is a little farther along in their parenting journey. That's why we're working to connect OBGYNs with families raising a child with Down syndrome so they can connect their patients with parents who can offer friendship, encouragement, and hope. We call this the Hope Advocate Process. To learn more and to sign up to become a Hope Advocate, simply visit hopestory.org forward slash Hope Advocate. And now back to our show. We talked about inclusion and that is the big one. I think for so many parents, they want their child to be included, included, included. And so I, I want to ask you a question about that. And I think this is the question that's on so many parents' minds, especially brand new parents who may have a kindergartner or, or a newborn, and they're thinking about the future. In your professional opinion, is a child being in the general education classroom from 8.30 a.m. until 3 p.m. without ever leaving the classroom and going into any sort of modified learning environment, do you think that's always best 100% of the time, 100% of the way for every student? You just put me on the hot seat. Man, you want to stir up some conversation. I'm going to put your email on the website so everyone can email <laughs> you about this. All right. So I'm going to get some mail. If you put my email on here, which it's all right. It's all right. All right. Everybody who's going to disagree with me, I am open to the conversation. Okay. I am open to the conversation, but I'm going to say straight out, I love the concept of individualizing an education and there is no education in our country that is set up for any child to be, you know, kind of in the system the way that it's set up right now. So on a big whole scale, it is not a school system that is working for many children, IEP or no IEP. So then when you add the IEP factor in there, I am all about individualizing, which means most children, even when we have full inclusion, need some type of specialized instruction that makes sense for their needs, and I'm gonna go right back to where we started, to be prepared for further education, employment, and independent living. So absolutely not do I see a one-size-fits-all, and absolutely not do I agree that a, a child needs to follow the you know, general education schedule to get a full educational benefit. That's great, that's really helpful, and I agree with you. And I also wanna encourage parents that are listening to this podcast that 
you know, may may feel a sense of, I, I don't know if guilt is the right word or shame or not being an incredibly great parent if their child is pulled out for some pullout minutes and they feel like, gosh, am I depriving my child? They may feel like, gosh, am I doing a disservice to my child by allowing them to be to be pulled out of the general education classroom. And I would just encourage you to relax. You're not a bad parent if at some point in the day your child is pulled out into a special education setting. You know, Noah, our son, our nine-year-old who's in the third grade, he has he's in about half the time in a general ed class and about half the time pulled out of class working with more individualized instruction. And it's been really great for him. He, he, he has great peer relationships, and he's also learning. And it has really been a win for him to sort of have an individualized plan that isn't 100% in the classroom. And that, that isn't going to be the same for every child. But for us, that, that's how it's working with our child. And it's really been successful for us, we feel. You know, I, I love that you brought up the emotional side of this decision-making, because again, being a special needs sibling, I've grown up specifically in the Down syndrome community, and there's a lot of, I'm just gonna call it straight out, shaming that happens behind the scenes within our own community for parents who follow their gut instincts and do things differently against the trend of what might be happening at, you know, on social media or at the latest conference or, you know, just what everybody's chatting about and, you know, more of this, more inclusion, more, more, more. When sometimes a parent's gut is saying, you know what, we need to step back because my child needs something different. And it takes guts to follow those instincts. And I just want to give a virtual high five to all the parents, you know, who are digging into their gut and doing things different. And you're really following what your heart says your child needs, because that is more insight than any professionals ever going to have. That's great. That is really great. One other buzzword that I wanted to ask you about, if you feel comfortable talking about it or adding some insights is the buzzword, the buzz phrase, least restrictive environment. I will take that one on too. As long as we're going tough topics, I will take it on. Um, So least restrictive environment to me, my interpretation of it with 20 years of experience and thousands of IEP meetings and talking to thousands of parents and seeing long-term outcomes. And that's where it's so important for me to look. So when I look at my brother and his friends that are in their 40s or 50s, and they are the first generation of fully educated adults with disabilities. So the law was enacted in 75. He was born in 77. And, you know, this is where we get to view what's working and what's not working. And least restrictive environment does not always mean general education when a child is then restricted in building their independence because they're working really hard to keep up with other people. And really when we're looking at least restrictive environment, I'm looking at educational benefit, meaningful education, and providing things within those school hours that a parent cannot provide on the outside of those school hours. And that's different for every family. So least restrictive environment goes in conjunction with the term full continuum of placements. And that means being aware of everything that's available from general education all the way to a residential therapeutic day school and figuring out all those gray areas in between of supports and services. And the least restrictive environment is really something that's individualized to a child and really providing what they need to be 
supported and promoted into their greatest potential. That's really good. One word that I keep hearing you say over and over again is the word individualized, that everything is different. You don't necessarily go read a blog on the internet and then think that whatever you read on that blog is going to apply to your child in every situation, but it's individualized. Every child is unique and different. Absolutely. And anytime that you hear a generalized statement, this is, this one's not on my list, but we're going to go with it. Anytime you hear the, uh, a statement at your IEP meeting that says something like all kids with whatever diagnosis, all kids with Down syndrome go to this classroom. All kids with, you know, with a reading deficiency go to this program. That's a red flag of "Mm, we're not individualizing. And we really need to think about if this path is right or wrong for this individual child. That's good. That's good. Thank you. All right. You ready for for the next one? Let's do it. All right. I want to make sure that everybody knows that there can be a specific plan written into the IEP for home to school communication. And this is an area that is super frustrating on both sides because sometimes, you know, teachers are spending a lot of time writing in journals, maybe at the end of the day and sending it home and they don't know if the parents even care. And maybe the parents don't care about the information the teacher's providing because they really want different information, but they're not communicating that. So there's just this frustration level building up and it's super important. And I'm going to use that word again, individualized, that we really customize for the individual what the home to school communication plan needs to be. So for example, you may not care if Noah ate his whole lunch. Like the eating may not be a thing that you need to track every day for your son. However, you may want to know if he had therapy that day, an OT or a PT or a speech therapist show up so you can kind of stay on top of what is he working on? Who did he see today? And you can have a conversation with them of, oh, you saw, you know, the speech therapist today and you would use her name. Of course, you know, you saw her today and what'd you guys talk about or what'd you do or, and, and you can really, that's twofold. That's the conversation. Plus you're staying on top of the education of what's happening, but Having this home to school communication plan in place and having it written in the IEP also takes away that fear as we go into the next school year of will the next team tell me what I need to know about my child? That's really good. We do that. We do that with Noah. So every day he comes home, he has a folder and every day in that folder, he has a little sheet that kind of goes throughout his day and and all the different teachers and different faculty members that have interacted with Noah or works with Noah you know, kind of tell us how that particular time with him went. They write notes. And so then we can kind of know, you know, how did he do today? We, we, we want to be involved. We want to know every day, how was Noah? What did he struggle with? What were his wins? We want to know about that. Yeah. It's so important because a parent is supposed to be an equal IEP team member, and it's impossible for you to be an equal IEP team member if you don't have information on a regular basis about what your child's doing. That's good. All right, here we go. Here's number five. It is before you leave that IEP table, I want you as a parent and for the team members listening, I want them to, I want you guys to be very clear about who is doing what 
and when. Because so often we build this awesome document. We've done all the things right. So we didn't use this as a dumping ground. We found some solutions. We have this parent input statement. We've got a home to school communication plan. We talked openly about the hot topics and defined inclusion and one-to-one aids. And we've got all these things. And then, you know, somebody says, let me go make copies of this. And you're like, this is great. And you get the document. And, you know, two months later, you're like, is this even happening? Like, who's really doing what? How is this working? Who's taking data or who followed up on making sure we're getting that assistive technology evaluation or who's making sure that the gym teacher knows the new accommodations and modifications for this inclusion time? Who is doing what, when is so important so we feel confident after we leave the IEP table? That's great. That is really great. Thanks for sharing these five tips. And we're going to put a link on our show notes, which can be found at hopestory.org to a checklist that you have. And I think all of these are on that checklist. Is that right? Yep. So all of these and more. So when you hop on over to iepchecklist.com, you will find a free IEP button. Go jump on there and I'm going to give you an IEP meeting checklist. And those are things to do before, during, and after the meeting. And I'm also going to give you an inclusion checklist because that is an area that we all need to work on together. So um, just go ahead and grab those free checklists and then we can go through these points together. All the contact information is going to be on there. Awesome. Well, I'm going to ask you one last question that you didn't know was coming. And the question is this, what is one thing that you have seen parents do that has really derailed an IEP meeting or, or has caused a IEP meeting to sort of go off the rails? Again, feel like you're putting me in the fire, but I'm going to take it. Okay. So parents, one of the things that happens often that completely sets the meeting off on the wrong tone and we don't get anywhere is when you come in with a very strict idea of what needs to happen and you're not open to hearing what the other people at the table have to say as a possible solution. So we miss the opportunity to compromise and move forward if you're stuck in an all or nothing mindset. That's great. And again, it goes back to individualized. Every child is different. Every learning plan is different. And it's, it's all individualized. And I know for me, an area that I think can disrail the IEP meetings is going in assuming the worst about everyone in the room and hey they're against me they're against my kid they they they're here to not help us and i think if you flip that around and and assume the best and say hey we're we're a team we're in this together and not look at everyone in the room as your enemy but to try to figure out ways to work together as a team absolutely that and what you describe there that that internal dialogue of they don't understand my child and they don't want to help at the level that I need them to help. And they don't like when they, they don't understand, they don't get it. They don't, then it creates that, that barrier. There's, there's no solution that's going to happen at that table. That's going to satisfy you. If that's the mindset going in. That's great. Great info. All right. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing these five really practical tips to all the parents out there. There is so much great information out there. There's some bad information, but there's so much great information. There's folks like Catherine who are out there 
working really hard to help equip you. And I hope you'll visit her website and learn more. You can go to katherinewitcher.com. You can also go to iepchecklist.com. Absolutely. I cannot wait to see everyone there. And you can learn more. Thank you guys for listening to the Hope Story podcast. And we'll see you again soon on another episode. Thank you for listening to the Hope Story podcast. On our website at hopestory.org, you can find this episode's show notes, subscribe to our email list, and learn about how Hope Story is working to connect every OBGYN in America to a family raising a child with Down syndrome through our Hope Advocate process. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Hope Story podcast.